You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. All right, if you would, take your Bibles, and this is going to take you a while. Turn to Genesis chapter 5. I'll give you a few minutes to get there. No laughs, okay. Tough crowd. Everyone's cold. It's warmer down here as I drive south from Brookings every, every service. Uh, sometimes it doesn't matter a lot. It's only like three degrees tonight, so, but still. Cold is cold when you get that cold, right? Um, I'm not going to have you stand because I'm not exactly sure how many verses I'm going to read. So it could be the whole chapter. And as, if you've looked ahead already, you're like, oh, wow, this is going to be really interesting. Um, but uh, pastor asked me to preach a few weeks ago. Uh, I know he's got some other things coming up in February, too. So he always kind of does like, he's like, you know, just be ready if you could. I have a couple things I'm going to be doing. So if you just have something kind of like in your back pocket, that's what Pastor Spencer always used to say, too. Just have something in your back pocket ready to go. That would be great. So, um, so I was uh, prepared to do something like this. And kind of a little backstory on, on the message, I guess. Um, Carter and I decided together to read through the Bible in a year. Right? That's something we decided to do this year. And so we started in Genesis. Right? Um, and for, I don't know about for you, but when I do something like this where I, I'm trying to get through something and I, my goal is to finish the Bible in a year, obviously... For me, when I read, sometimes I end up reading a slower because I get stuck somewhere, not because I get dragged down, but just because something sticks out at me. Um, and sometimes it might take me longer than a year. So I need like a checklist, right, to get through something. There's a lot of apps for your phone, which is what I did, you know, because it's 2020. I got an app on my phone. I'm going to have two different ones because I like something about one and something about the other one, and they don't match up, which is weird. They don't have the same chapters. Um, but for Carter, he doesn't have a phone. So I took a piece of graph paper and I, I charted out basically, I think, the first two months, right? January, February, for now, um, for him to check off. And I know, I know a lot of times, at least for me it was, especially when I was younger, if I could have, if you have lists, right? If you go grocery shopping or you've got to clean something or if you've got a to-do list, it kind of feels good to scratch something out or check it off when you get done. It, for me, it motivates me to do more. It motivates me to stay on track. And so him and I have been doing that and... You can see Genesis 5, I didn't get very far uh, before, before something kind of stuck out at me. Um, and so that's kind of the backstory where this sermon came from, or this message, whatever you want to call it, it came from. Um, and if you, again, looked at Gen- Genesis chapter 5, it, there's a genealogy here, right? And genealogies, a lot of times we get like bogged down at genealogies because there's just a lot of data and a lot of names we can't pronounce, so we kind of go over it in our head. You know, like if it was Jeff and John and Bob, we would know what they'll sound like. But a lot of these, some of these names, you don't know what they sound like in your head, at least. Okay, so this is what I do. I don't know what they sound like, so I just kind of make up what they sound like. And if I had to say them out loud, I wouldn't know what to say because I don't know what it really is. Um, but, you know, that's why we get bogged down a lot of times. But God put things in the Bible on purpose. Right? There's nothing that is in, in God's word that's just there because he had to fill some pages. There wasn't a word count you know, that we had to get to. Um, God puts them there on, on, for a reason. And I'm not saying my message is the reason that this is here. This is just something that stuck out for me tonight. So we'll start in verse number one, and we'll, just, we'll probably read part of the way down until you kind of get the gist of what's happening here. Uh, verse number one of chapter five of Genesis says, 
This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God, made he him. Male and female created he them, and blessed them, and called their name Adam, in the day when they were created. And Adam lived an hundred and thirty years, and begat a son in his own likeness, after his image, and called his name Seth. And the days of Adam, after he had begotten Seth, were eight hundred years, and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days that Adam lived were nine hundred and thirty years, and he died. And Seth lived an hundred and five years, and begat Enos. And Seth lived after he begat Enos eight hundred and seven years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Seth were nine hundred and twelve years, and he died. And Enos lived ninety years, and begat Canaan. And Enos lived after he begat Canaan eight hundred and fifteen years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enos were nine hundred and five years, and he died. And Canaan lived seventy years, and begat Mahalachlil. That's what it sounds like in my head. <laughs> and Canaan lived after he begat Mahalachlil eight hundred and forty years, and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Canaan were nine hundred and ten years, and he died. So I think you see a pattern going here, right? God's going through the generations of Adam, the firstborn sons, all the way through and giving how long they were alive, when, or what age they were when their child was born, how long they lived afterwards, and then the total years that they lived. And so as I was reading this, I mean, I've read it numerous times, as I'm sure you have, and it can be, okay, next, 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 next. But for me, I started, my brain started thinking, okay, so Adam lived 930 years. Like our minds, can you imagine being alive for almost a thousand years? Can you imagine how everything that happened and everything that he saw? And as these kids are born, these sons and all the other sons and daughters, I got to thinking, okay, so how long was Adam alive? Like how many generations down did he know his grandkids? Like how many great, 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 great down until he was off the scene that he knew and they were around and could talk to Adam. You realize thousands and thousands of people were alive from Adam and Eve, and then they could talk to Adam about what happened in the garden. They could talk, like they could get first-hand information on creation, on naming all the animals. That's, that was Adam's job. They, could, they got to go and talk to him about, why did you pick this name for this thing? You know, what was it like? You know, and, and be able to talk to him about those things. And for me, my mind, that just, my mind started reeling. And, okay, what would I do? How, what there are the questions I would ask? How cool is that if you would have been around when someone that was born, like if, if you were around when Abraham Lincoln was alive? He was still alive when you're alive. Or some, somebody that's been, that's been dead for a long time. But the way this worked is Adam lived so long. So Adam lived... Noah, right? We know if we kept going, we'd get to Noah. Noah was the, the last family there before the flood, right, that killed everybody else off. Noah's dad, Lamech, was still alive, or Adam was still alive when Lamech was born. So Noah's dad knew Adam for, let's see, I think I wrote down for about, I didn't write down how many years, uh, but there's, there's 56 years. So Lamech was alive for 56 years, and for 56 years, Adam was also alive. So can you imagine, that's seven generations past Adam that he got to talk to Lamech. And so Lamech 
personally was able to talk to Adam. And there's no way someone like Adam, the first man ever created, passing down God to all his sons and great-grandsons, there's no way Adam wasn't a celebrity. has to be. The Bible doesn't tell us that. It doesn't say, you know, that everyone went and talked to him. But knowing human nature, there's no way he wasn't somebody that everybody wanted to talk to and get wisdom from and just spend time with. And especially if you were one of his great, 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 six times down, great-grandsons, there's no way you wouldn't want to talk to him. So Lamech is Noah's father, and Noah was born when Lamech was 182. So about 130 years after Adam died, then Noah was born. All right, so there's no way, in my estimation, my guessing, that Lamech didn't tell Noah all the things that he got from Adam and all the things that Adam told them that he got from God. And you just see the first, first-hand distribution of God's word, God's laws, God's truth, everything that he told Adam to do and not to do to be able to pass down through his family. Now, for us, we might see, a lot of us will see our, our great-grandkids. Some might even see their great-great-grandkids. But not very many will see past that, right? It, and there are some situations where it may be different, but most of the time, that's, that's about what it is. I have two grandmothers alive still today. Well, sorry, my grandma just died about a month ago. I have one grandma left. So Carter has a great-grandma, and he's known both his great-grandmas. But I knew my grandma's mom, but he never did, right? So there's that two generation, but three generations kind of a stretch to get that far. Can you imagine if four or five generations back you could still talk to some of your relatives? your great-great-great-grandparents or grandmother, grandfather, how amazing that would be, the things that they would be able to share with us and tell us. So, again, my brain kept going like this, and then I went further. So Noah had Shem, right? And Shem is the lineage where Jesus comes from. Um, Shem was born, and then the last generation that we're going to go to here is when Abraham was born, okay? So Shem, when he was born... um, well, I'll back up a little bit. Seth, who was Adam's son, Seth knew Noah. So Seth was still alive when Noah was alive for about 30-some years. So Adam's son and Noah knew each other and could talk and communicate. That, for, that just blows my mind. So Abraham was born way down the road, and he knew uh, Shem, who was Noah's son, for about 150 years. So Shem firsthand experienced the flood. Right? You have Noah and his sons and their wives. They're the only people that experienced, they're the only people that survived. God killed every other living person off. But so Shem, who experienced that, was able to talk to Abraham. And we know when Abraham came on the scene, that's when God really started moving things along with his promises and to Abraham and his seed and the nation of Israel. So Abraham was able to talk to Shem, and Noah only died two years before Abraham was born. So all, I mean, this is 17 generations from Adam to Abraham. And they're all, I mean, because of the length of time that they lived, they were all pretty close to being, to knowing each other and talking to each other. And the point for me saying all this and hopefully not boring you to, to death too much is that they were able to pass down what God had done firsthand for them, right? Shem saw the flood. Shem saw God protecting his family all those animals on on the ark with him to be able to tell that story because once they got off the ark the animals now had a fear of man and it wasn't like it was before where you could just go hang out with some lions 
right? That, that happened for Adam. That happened for Shem. That didn't happen for Abraham, right? The camels, you know, and, and the lions and all those, they, they just weren't like pussycats anymore, right? And so to be able to talk to him about that experience, can you imagine how real it must have been to Shem and how real, hopefully, it got to Abraham and how God was what he did for them, what God did for Noah and Shem and his family. So as I transition to today and to us, it got me thinking about, you know, us as parents, us as Christians, parents or not, teenagers, parents, grandparents, what are we doing to pass down God's spiritual heritage, the spiritual heritage that you have, right? You look back on the day that you got saved and the person that led you to the Lord, whether it was a parent, a Sunday school teacher, uh, whoever it might have been that led you to the Lord, and you realize at that moment your spiritual heritage began, and you started to, to get to know God, you started to develop a, a, an inheritance, a heritage that God had given you, and as you've lived your life up to this point, you've gained experiences, you've seen God work, you've been through trials, you've been through amazing times, and God has done things for you and taught you things, what are you doing to pass that down to the next generation like Adam did down all the way to Lamech and that Shem did all the way down to Abraham? And that got me thinking, and God pointed out to me specifically, what are you doing? And we try to raise our kids right. We're not perfect, right? You make mistakes. If you've been parent for a week or less, you've made mistakes. You just do, you know, it's, it happens. But what are we doing to pass down our spiritual heritage to the generations behind us, and then the generations that will be here if the Lord tarries when we're gone, right? When we're in heaven and we're no longer here to influence any generation down the road, what is it that we have done that will influence those past us? And teenagers, you know, we think, well, I know at least I did when I was in high school and such, middle school, that, me being a parent, that's way like way down the line in my life. Being a parent is nowhere on my radar. You know, that's, that's just, that's another lifetime away. But as anyone that is a parent now will attest, that happens very quickly. Um, you become a parent and your kids will grow up and it'll be, it'll happen before you know it. So teenagers, as you have been saved, hopefully at a younger age, you know, how are you living your life so that God is part of it to where you can pass that down someday? You're building your spiritual heritage right now that you're eventually, hopefully, going to pass on to your children and your, and your grandchildren. What is it that you're doing in your spiritual life that is preparing you to pass something down that's worthwhile? And that's where, for a lot of times, for teenagers, they kind of, at least I did again, we kind of lose the sight of, it's all about today, it's all about what I want to do now, and it's a very selfish life to live, not really thinking about the spiritual side of life. Because that's for the adults, that's for the pastor, that's for the youth pastor. But it's for you guys. If you're saved, it's for you. There's a spiritual heritage that you are supposed to be building up and getting experience to pass down someday. So what are some things that we can pass down? And there's a list that could go on forever. And I just have a few that I picked out that I think are, are some things to, to be on purpose wanting to pass down to the generations following. Again, it can be to your kids. It can be your grandkids. It can be to the teenagers and the youth that are here. If you don't have kids, if you don't have kids and you're just a college-age person or you're older, you know, even middle-aged, and you don't have kids, somebody's watching you. I guarantee it. A teenager could be watching you. Another couple could be watching you. People see 
they watch how you live. And your, your life is on display. And especially if you're a Christian, people definitely watch how you live. So even if you don't have any immediate children, there's definitely people you can still influence. So what are some things that we want to pass on to our future generations? The first thing, I think, is a desire to follow Jesus. That's probably one of the most important things that you can pass down to your, the next generation is a desire to want to follow Jesus. And if you think, well, that's, you know, that's not my responsibility, that's up to them, they're their own person, they're going to make that decision when they get older, you are right, they will make their own decision, but it's up to you to, to pass that desire along. You know, Deuteronomy chapter 6, they talk about talking about God's word and his commandments and his statutes all the time. When you're sitting, when you're walking, when you're lying down, when you're waking up, when you're in the way, God talks about passing that down, making it an essential part of your life. And that, doesn't, that means not just going to church, right? Going to church is good. We should definitely go to church. It's, it's, it's an important part of it. But passing a desire to follow Jesus is not going to just come from getting your family ready and come to church. It's not going to come from patch, right? We got kids in pat, peewee patch and patch right now that are hopefully, definitely learning and getting a desire to follow Jesus. But that's not where they should get it from. If you're a parent, that's where it should come from. Their desire comes from the way we live. Just going to church and patch won't give them everything they need. It's a good supplement, right? It's a good, it's a good boost, but it's not the main thing. They need to know and see and hear you having Jesus as part of your life every day. Okay, and that, again, if you don't have kids, if that's not part of your life today, that still should be part of our life to make Jesus part of our life. If we claim to be Christians, we claim to be saved and love God and know God, it shouldn't just be a a facade we put on when we come to church on Wednesdays and Sundays. It has to be part of Tuesday. It has to be part of Friday afternoon, right? It has to be part of who you are. If you want the following generation to desire and want to follow Jesus because you make it so appealing, because you you make it look like the best life ever, but it's not because we make it look that way, it's because it is. But if you don't believe that it is, it's going to be hard to you know, convince others that your life is the best life because of Jesus. But if you're living with the desire to follow him yourself, that's just going to be evident in the way you live. And you know what? We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fail. We're going to sin. You're going to do things you shouldn't do, and there'll be days that that's not your first thing you think of when you wake up in the morning is, oh, I can't wait to follow Jesus today. Because you're human. But you know what? Knowing that and doing everything you can to make sure you get your mindset to that point, we're adults. It's our, it's our responsibility. It's not, you can't have the excuse of, ah, I forgot today. You know, that doesn't work, does it? It works when you're younger. I forgot gets you by for a while. But eventually, I forgot doesn't work. Tell, tell your boss, I forgot to come to work today. See how many times you get by with that right? You might get lucky and get by with it once, maybe, if you're really good at what you do. But you do that more than once, that, that doesn't fly, right? But we forget sometimes to want to follow Jesus. We forget sometimes to get in our Bible the way we should. We forget to pray, right? Because we're human, and our carnal self is going to take over if we don't try to spiritualize it, if we don't live in God's Word. So the first thing we want to pass down is a desire to follow Jesus. The second thing, and all these things really tie in hand-to-hand with everything, the second thing we really want to pass down is a reverence for God's Word. A reverence from God's Word. And again, this they will only get from you. 
You can tell them the Bible's awesome and the Bible's great, and you should make sure you have your Bible in Sunday school when you go to church. Don't, you know, don't. I always give you guys on Wednesdays, when we taught Wednesdays, all you guys didn't have Bibles on Wednesdays. I made you raise your hand. You got a Bible, but everyone knew you didn't have your own, right? Bring your Bible to church. You should always bring your Bible to church. Okay, that's great, Dad and Mom and Grandma and Grandpa. But if, when you go home, the Bible gets put on that coffee table or on that counter or that you know, nightstand by your bed, and it never moves until Wednesday or until next Sunday. They might not notice it when they're 4 or 5. They may not even notice it when they're 10 or 11. By the time they're 14 or 15, they notice it. And they know that, okay, they talk big about God's word being important, but I never, ever see them really doing anything with it other than church. They have to get that from you. If you want a reverence for God's word to be vital in their life and you want to pass that down, which I do, I definitely want to make sure that my kids think God's word is important. That it's, it's not just a book. It's not just something that we carry around like because we have to, because it's a church thing. But that it's real, it's alive. It, it, has, it has the keys to eternal life. I mean, that's, that's a, there's no other book written that has the keys to eternal life in it that introduces you to a person that loves you more than anybody else ever will. There's no other book that has that story in it. There's no other book that has, it's not a story, in an account. The real-life thing that happened. The Bible is very important to them, to, to us. It should be. So give, give them their own Bible. If you see some bus kids that come in, and you know their home life not, might not be that way, and you don't have your own kids, or even if you do, you want to influence somebody, find a Bible. Give it to one of them. You see them coming in without a Bible, give them a Bible. Will they lose it? Probably. Will they destroy it? Maybe. But give them a Bible. Make it important. Tell them it's important. Don't just give it to them and say, here you go, you need one of these. Tell them why. Give them a Bible. Give your kids your own Bible. Make it special. Make it important. You really want to make it important when, again, if they're younger, you're going to give them a Bible that's a little more durable, we'll say, okay? Maybe before they're reading it and understanding it, and they're going to be a little rough with it. But when they get older, give them a Bible that's important, that's special. Give them one with their name engraved on the outside of it. Give them something with a note that you wrote in the front about your desire for their life. Give them something like that that is going to mean something to them. Make it important. Make it special. Make sure they see you reading it. Like, on purpose, I've, we've been talking about stuff in the couples class the last few months, and we talked about our devotions and, and our walk with God. If you have kids at home, especially if they're younger, if they're in these two rooms back here, maybe even if they're in here, make them catch you reading your Bible. That, mean, that means you may have to read your Bible at a different time that's not your normal time, but like when you know they're going to come down the stairs or they're going to go in this room and you're home and you can do it, get your Bible, and don't just pretend you know, like, oh, look at me, I'm reading my Bible. Read your Bible, but when you know they're going to come in, make sure they catch you. Make sure they see you reading your Bible. Make sure sometimes they see you praying. Have your kids ever caught you praying? And I know a lot of times we do our devotions, it's a private thing we do just on our own, and that's definitely something we should do. But if you want your kids to think it's real, or know it's real, they got to see it. They got to see you actively involved in doing something like that. How important is your Bible to you? To you personally? How, if you're going to pass on how, how much you want your kids to reverence God's word, how, what's the value of it to you? What does God's word, where does the value lie in your life with God's word, with your Bible? Does your answer match your usage?
Because I think if I asked anybody or anyone asked me, how important is the Bible to you? Oh, it's the most important book in the world. It's every, it means everything to me. But do the, my answer, does that match my usage? Because we can say stuff. We can say, you know, anything we want. We can make up things. We can, you know, pretend. And uh, we do that because we're humans. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm great. You just, you know, had a flat tire on the way to work. Someone didn't show up to work. You had to do double the work today because of that. You know, the soup was cold when you got home. You stubbed your toe when you got out of the car. You almost fell down on the icy sidewalk, you know, on the way here. Your dog ran away. I mean, but you say, oh, I'm good. We pretend. And we say just because whether you don't want to get into the conversation or we just, you know, that's, we don't want to bring that up. But we do that. So when you say, how, how important is your Bible to you? Oh, it's the most important thing in the world. But is it really? Does your, does, does your usage match how important you say the Bible is to you? And if it doesn't match, it's going to be hard to pass that down to the next generation. It's going to be hard for them to see that as a reality if we don't actually believe that. And for me, it was a challenge to me. As I went through this and I studied and read, it was a challenge to me to make sure that my words match my actions in that, that specific area. All right, ne- the next thing. Something we should want to pass down. An understanding of how to listen to God. I think as even adult Christians and mature Christians, that's something we might struggle with. Um, I know I do at times. An understanding in how to listen to God. You know, we read our Bible, and sometimes maybe it's just for our checklist. We aren't necessarily looking to get something out of it. We go through our day, and you do the job you're supposed to do, right? You take care of all your responsibilities there. You take care of all, when you get home, you've got to pay the bills that you've got to pay to keep everything going. You've got to buy the groceries. You've got to live your life, right? You've got to invest in relationships. If you're married, you've got to invest in that relationship. If you have kids, you have to invest in those relationships. Your friends, you've got to invest in those relationships. And we get so busy sometimes that we don't listen. And I know we can talk about listening to people and having those type of talk about that. And while that is important, knowing how to listen to God. And that's about getting direction from him. Not just on the big, important things either. Not just on I'm moving or I need, I'm getting a new job or I'm getting married or the big events of our life, but the everyday, the everyday life. How much do you listen to what God is saying to you? And now, obviously, he doesn't audibly speak to us anymore, right? He doesn't do that. We have his word where he speaks to us. But the Holy Spirit lives within you, right? Once you're saved, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within you. He's with you all the time. And he can guide you, and he can direct you, and he can, he, can li- he can help you live your life the way you're supposed to live it. But if you're not listening, the Holy Spirit doesn't come with an air horn. Right? He's like, listen to me, you've got to go this way. Talk to that person. He doesn't do that. He's a still, small voice. He whispers. He, he doesn't force ever. And that's the thing about God, the awesome thing about God. He doesn't force anybody into anything. But he wants everybody to hear him. He wants every human being, every living soul to hear him. But we have to listen. The Holy Spirit lives within us. Teaching your children how to hear God's direction is important. Right? We need them to learn this as early as age as possible. Think about the, time, the mistakes you maybe made in your life. The decisions that looking back now you're like, that was the wrong choice. And if you could look back and say, was I listening to what God said then? Or was I doing what I thought was best? Or was I caught up in the moment? Or was I just straight up making a sinful choice? And you can look back and say, if I had listened to God, what would he have said? 
And if I had listened, how would have things turned out differently? Listening to God is important. You won't be around forever. I mean, we're all going to die. If the Lord tarries, we will all be in the grave. Our bodies will be in the grave someday. We'll be in heaven. And if the Lord tarries, your kids will be here. And all they'll have to go on is what you taught them. And if we don't tell them how to teach them how to listen for God's direction, and you leave who maybe have been giving them direction all their life, even when they become adults and married adults, their, a lot of times kids will still look to their parents for direction. If they don't learn to get direction from God, when you're gone, what are they going to do? Who are they going to go to? If they don't know how to go to God for direction, if they don't know how to go to God and try to hear what he has for them, they need to know how to go to God. They need to know how the Holy Spirit helps them through Scripture and through prayer to find God's will for the life. Teenagers, young people... I hope your desire is to do what God wants you to do. No matter what it is, if it's be a missionary like Brother Ruckman, if it's just work a full-time job and be, be a faithful church member, as if that's just, no, there's a lot to that. If it's to teach a science school class, if it's to be a good husband, if it's to be a good wife, hopefully your goal in life is to do whatever it is that God wants you to do. And if you're going to find that, you have to know how to hear God. You're going to have to know to, how to go to him, how to find God's will for your life. And that's going, to take, that's going to take you being in this. That's going to go back to having a reverence for God's word. That's, it's going to go back to wanting to follow Jesus. We need to be listening and we need to be actively listening and searching that out. And that's going to come from us as we pass it down. And teenagers, you learn that now when you're 13, 14, 15, 16. You're, you're so far ahead of the game. Don't wait till you're 30 to figure out how to listen to God. Don't, because you'll miss a lot. You get it now, you'll have, you'll have built up that spiritual heritage that when your kids come or whoever comes in your life, you can pass down. And that's vital. Two more things. <clears throat> Faith that conquers the trials of life. And that, again, they all really tie in to each other. But we want to pass down to our family, to our, our children, faith that conquers the trials of life. Because trials come, don't they? Bad things happen inconveniences happen, which are minor, and there's big bad things that happen. There are things that we, when we look at them in our human selves, there's no way I can get through this. There's no way I can get through this sickness. There's no way I can get through this sickness for my family member. There's no way I can get through this financial trouble. There are things that will come to you that you are not going to be able to handle on your own. And you've had those things. If you've lived, if you're any age, that's, you know, you've had trials. And there's things you've been through, and you can see how God has gotten you through them. And you can see the faith, that hopefully, that that has built. Now, we don't want to worry our kids with adult troubles, right? You don't want to tell them all the financial woes you have or all the bad. You want to come home and tell your kids how work was just terrible and just give them all these bad things about work. We've got to be smart about it. But we do want them to see how dependent on God we are. Right When trials come, when tough things come, when you're going through something tough, there's nothing wrong about telling your kids, your grandkids, you know, we're going through something tough, but we're going to trust God. We're going to trust God that he can help us because we believe that he cares about us. We believe he knows what he's doing. He has a plan. If we follow him, we'll get through it, and we'll learn something from it. Your kids need to hear you say that. A lot of times as parents, we want to, keep, we want to shelter them and protect them, and we do. But we want to keep everything from them. No bad things ever happen, ever. Everything's just great. But they're going to find out real quick when they get older that that's not how life is, is it? So tell, show them how when bad things come, God is still there. When bad things come, God has a plan. 
we've got to show them that God brings things into our life to teach us lessons, to make us stronger Christians, to bring us closer to him. If anything, to help us go through something so that we can help somebody else that goes through something similar down the road. You ever had a trial that you went through that you don't know, you got through it and you're like, okay, God helped us through it, but why did I go through it? And then years later, someone you know, a friend, a relative, goes through something very similar, and what can you do? You can go and say, I know exactly what, how you, I know what you're going through, and let me tell you what God did for me. You know how much of an encouragement it is for someone to hear when they're going through a trial, someone else that went through something similar, and what God did for them, and how God brought them through it, it brings hope. My wife will tell you she, she had some depression with, our, with Gemma, our last uh, daughter that was born. For a while after that, she was really depressed, was struggling with a lot of things. And I don't think they would mind, but Diana Chambers had similar things with, with uh, one or maybe even both of her boys. And when Lisa was able to talk to Diana about it, Diana was like, I know, and they were able to bond over that. And I could tell you how much, I can't tell you how much Diana helped my wife through a time like that where I... I couldn't help her other than pointing her to God. There's nothing I could say that would help that because I, I have never been through something like that. And I couldn't, couldn't connect on that level. But she did. And Diana went through something, and now Lisa's gone through something, and now hopefully someday somebody else may go through something similar and she can help them. So if that's all we go through trials for, to help other Christians, to help each other, there's a reason God does all those things. And our kids need to know to trust God. And we need to tell them that. Next, and lastly here, and probably the most important, well, there is no most important. They're all equal. Um, the net last thing I have to teach our kids to, to pass down is a servant's heart or a servant's spirit. A willingness and desire to serve others. That can be hard to do sometimes. Because to serve others means you have, to, you have to be selfless. And we don't like to be selfless. We really like to be selfish. And not necessarily in a, that's my toy, selfish, like kids are. But in a, that's my time, selfish. Or that's my comfort zone, selfish. Or I just don't feel like it, selfish. Right? We're, we can be selfish people. Humans can be selfish and not selfless. But... From, from Jesus' example specifically, he came to, to serve. And he served those that were around him, whether it was washing feet, feeding, healing, whatever he could do, he looked and went around trying to serve others. And as Christians, as people that are little Christs, right, the Christian name, we are supposed to serve. That's, that's God's expectation of us. And you, if you want your kids to grow up and be, have a servant's heart, that's going to have to start with us. That's going to have to start with our willingness to serve. And you know what? Sometimes you have, to, you have to force yourself to be that way. You have to make yourself be willing to serve. And you know what? You might have some areas that, you're, that are easy to serve in. I don't mind whatever. Maybe I don't mind shoveling the snow out front. I don't mind sweeping the floors. I don't mind you know, doing this or that, maybe being in the nursery. I don't mind those things. But if I had to teach, eh, I don't think I could do that. Or if you want me to serve in this area that I'm not quite comfortable with, eh, I don't want to do that. And we go, well, but I serve over here. I do this, so I don't have to do this. But if an opportunity comes, if an opportunity arises and, and someone, a pastor or someone in authority or God moves on somebody to ask you to help with something and serve in something, and we say, nah, but I do this over here, but I can't do that. 
You know, we have to be willing to serve. And you can't do everything, right? You can't say yes to everything all the time. I understand that. You have to be smart. But a willingness, a heart that wants to serve. If, you, if there's something that I can do, that I physically am time and, and things that I could do without, you know, being unwise and, and a bad steward in other areas, and I'm asked to do it, and I can, I should want to say yes every time. And I should say yes every time. Because God sometimes gives us opportunities that will push us, that'll stretch our comfort zone, that'll stretch our limits and what we're comfortable doing because he wants us to be willing to serve, to be willing to help. You think all the people that Jesus went to, they talked about him eating with sinners and publicans all the time. You think that was comfortable? That was not comfortable. Those were the people that no one wanted to be around. Those are the people that everybody shunned. They probably smelled bad. You know, deodorant quite was, isn't what it was, what it is now. I mean, people smell bad today, and we've got pretty good technology when it comes to that, right? But can you imagine that group of people? They probably didn't smell good. They probably weren't the, the nicest people to be around. They're probably kind of rowdy and raucous, and just you avoid, like, if they're on, that side, if they're on the same side of the street, you cross the street so you have to walk by them. Those are the kind of people Jesus went to. He went to them, he, and Jesus had no comfort zone. His comfort zone was everything. But the example for us is we avoid stuff like that. We avoid the, eh, Things that were, aren't just like me, aren't just like us. And we kind of stay away from it. But then we salve our conscience by saying, but I do this over here. So I serve here, that means I don't have to quite go out this far. That's not a servant's heart. That's comfort zone, serving, and it makes me feel good. But don't let just what you feel good and comfortable with limit you. Because if you're limited by what you, you're comforted by, what you feel comfortable doing, You'll never grow in that area. If you can serve, if there's something you can do to serve other people, we should do it. And I'm talking to myself because there's a lot of things that I'm just like, oh, I don't want to do that because it's going to take this, 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 and this time and this amount of money and this amount of effort. And I just don't feel like doing that. And so I'll say no. I'll be like, oh, I can't. I've got X, Y, Z instead. You know, I'll make up something. And then I'm guilty of that too. And so as as I studied and gone through this and thought about the things that we want our gen- next generations to know. We want the next generations coming up to, to know God and have that desire to follow him and, and reverence God's word. We want them to be servants. We want them to be the ones that are helping, that are going out to help, that are serving, that are, are doing for others as much as they possibly can. That's what, that's what we want our kids, that's what I want my kids to grow up and their kids to grow up. And if I never see their kids' kids, I want them to have that same theology, that same ideology of helping others. And I think we all want that to be the case. So as I conclude here, what heritage are you passing on? You know, some of us, some of you, maybe your kids are long gone, your grandkids aren't around, and so there's no one directly to pass anything on to. There are a lot of people here, and it doesn't just have to be kids, right? It doesn't just have to be patch kids or teenagers. It could be Adults, it can be someone that seemingly is mature Christian. You can still pass things spiritually along. You've lived a life. You've seen God do things in your life. God has touched you. God has blessed you. God has brought you through things that you never would have imagined. And if you can pass some of that wisdom to somebody else here, that's passing along the spiritual heritage. That's passing that down. It doesn't just have to be kids. Pass what you've learned 
on to somebody else. Pass what God has done for you on to somebody else. Teenagers, I'll say again, you don't have anybody that you would look at and say, I'm passing something down. But you're building your spiritual heritage right now. The things that you experience as a teenager that you'll go and bring into college and bring into young adult life when your life comes and God brings that person to you that you're going to marry and you have kids, if that's what God's will is for your life, you will have built a spiritual heritage that you can pass on to those kids right away. Don't waste time. Don't lose years searching and doing whatever you want to do and what the world says you should do. Build your spiritual heritage through what God wants you to do now so when that time comes, you have stuff to pass along. <clears throat> do you live your life in a manner, I'll ask a couple questions that will be done. Do you live your life in a manner where your children, grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren, and family here, long after you're gone, will be blessed by God? Do you live your life in a way that when you're gone, your family will be blessed of God because of how you lived? The Bible talks about, especially here in the Old Testament and in Genesis, numerous times how God said, I will bless you because of Abraham. Because of your father Abraham, because he did this, I will bless you, he says to Jacob. He, said, he says that numerous times God does. Because of how your father lived or how your grandfather lived, I will bless you. Genesis 26, 5 says, Because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So he's telling him, I know in certain terms, that because of what your father did, I will bless you. Will your kids be blessed because of how you live? How you conduct your life? Teenagers, will your kids someday be blessed because of how you conduct yourself today? Because God says he'll bless people depending on how you live today. You want your family to be blessed. You want them to have that spiritual heritage. Are you living in a manner that God will do that? Are you obeying his voice, keeping his charge, his commandments, his statutes, and his laws? You do those things, God will bless your family. You ever been around someone that just, everything seems to just turn out right for them all the time, and you find out that they love God, they pray, they're, 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 they're God-fearing Christians and try to live their life in that way, and things just always seem to work out. Not to say bad things don't happen, but if you love God and you're doing these things, it's hard not to have a blessed life because that's what God does. He blesses his children and he wants to do that. So live in a manner that you can pass that down to your children. Live in a manner that God will bless them in the future. I'll pray and then we'll take a few minutes to, uh, to have some prayer time. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.